I've burned a thousand bridges dancing in the flames. I'll light your candle, darling, if it might show the way. A shallow grave will be filled with our words and bones. But still we chase the sunlight, and that's just how it goes, it goes. Winds will blow, and we will find ourselves alive. Welcome to the Very Hick and Rose podcast. Uh, this is episode 21. Today it's just uh, me, Trevor. My brother is busy at a wedding reception, and we have Nick here, as usual. Howdy, howdy. End of month, close. I think second to end of the month. So, a month is flying by. And when you said that, I was I like, know. Wait, it, it actually is the end of the month almost. I mean, yeah, we have like I guess kind of like a week and a half. I don't know. Let's not, let's not think about it because then it's then we're like halfway through the year and it's like what? I know. I just just thinking about that. Like today, I was like, wow, we already done halfway through the year and haven't done anything. I know, it was, and it's funny too because last year there was kind of the excuse of like there's complete chaos. It's a pandemic. This year, everything doesn't count. And then now it's like, wait, it's been half a year and it's like, it's not, I still haven't done anything. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe still I guess I, I feel like I'm starting to do a little bit more, like um, just a few more photo things. And I, I don't know, like I've seen a few more people, like the vaccinations have really helped around here. So I, I kind of feel like life is a little bit less pandemic centric and a little bit more like, uh, you know, just for me, it's like work and photo and stuff. So. I guess that's been kind of nice, but yeah, it's weird to think that we're almost halfway through this year. Yeah, and uh, I think Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday. Yeah, they uh, they changed like policy, not policy. I guess the rules for like at work. Um, the main boss guy is like, well, if you're vaccinated, you can uh, go without wearing a mask. Like, it's cool, but still, like, I don't know if I completely agree with it but it was interesting because more than half i seem like more than maybe half uh, don't have the mask on so it's like okay i guess most more than half people half the people got do they vaccinated. at least have to show their like vaccine cards to the manager or something to like prove it i mean or do or is it just their word <laughs> saying it because i don't, don't want to be that guy but it, i kind of feel like there's yeah, probably a right? lot of people who are just gonna say oh yeah i'm vaccinated and then you know i don't know maybe i just maybe the, i think the worst of people but I know where I, at least where I work, we had to, we got, like, we got to use that, I guess, it's, I don't know if it's California or if it's federal, but we got paid time off for, like, any vaccine thing we had to do, but um, they did say, like, well, we might want proof that, that you actually did it, um, so we have those right. cards, we just, like, text them a picture, and we're like, okay, yeah, it's fine, but, I, you know, which is fine, I think it's good, we should have to prove, I mean, it seems kind of, it seems really easy to say, like, oh, I hate wearing a mask, and I'm not getting the vaccine, but yeah, yeah, I got it, here, I'm gonna take my mask off, so, hopefully yeah. they're, hopefully people are being honest about that. Hopefully, more and more people keep getting the vaccine. Yeah, I mean, if it is more than half, that's sizable amount, which is pretty good. But we want it to be more than that. I, I'm lucky enough where the team I work with is pretty sm- relatively small. We have like 10 or 15 people, and all of us now are vaccinated um, with both doses. I think it'll it's going to be a couple of weeks until everybody's two weeks out. But we've gotten to the point now where once we open, before we open or once we close, we can take our masks off. And, you know, there's like three of us in the room and we're all vaccinated. So it's like, it's like for, for, for a little bit of time before or after work, we kind of feel like, wow, we can actually see the bottom half of each other's faces. It's really strange. Yeah. I, I went in really early thinking. this morning and 
I was, uh, I hadn't seen, I realized I hadn't really seen one of my coworkers faces for like, you know, a year, year and a half now. And, uh, he just got, he's two weeks out from the second dose of vaccine. So we, we was, you could take his mask off. And I just looked at him for a second, kind of like, whoa, like I, I, I recognize you, but I don't like, oh, so that's what your chin looks like. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen it in so long. So it's like you get to relearn people's faces. Yeah. Um, I thought it was also funny because, uh, like, most of the my, uh, coworkers, I, I've never, like, actually met them till after the pandemic started. So I don't even, like, know how half their face looks like until, like, recently. And, like, oh, okay, whoa. <laughs> like, put that mask back on. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're like, oh, hmm, that mask was kind to you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah and, uh, I, I noticed I that mean, too. Like, just because we we hired some people and we interviewed them, uh, you know, we held the interviews, and when we were asking questions, it's like interesting because I only see half their face, and obviously, it's not really about how you look; it's about what you can do for the right, business. Yeah. Um, and you know, we hired these people, and then afterward, I was I had to, I was taking some pictures of them, like a headshot for our website, and uh, I was like, oh wow, that I realized it's been like I've known you now for a couple of weeks, and we hired you, and I still haven't even seen your whole face. <laughs> so yeah, I, I definitely feel that. <laughs> yeah yeah it's been a pretty long day at the pretty long week at the chicken lab chicken yeah lab. you've been going crazy there yeah but um yeah finally done tomorrow's my last day of the week and sunday's always off so good to have That's a day good off. To have. yeah it's been busy where i work and we have this is one of those days where i like today they wanted me to come in and do some additional inventory unpacking and all this stuff. I was like, yeah, I could do that. Or I could set my alarm and get up super early and get in and just get in and get out before work actually, before the store actually opens. And so I managed to do that. I, I left half an hour before uh, opening time, which is nice. It's, it's, it's amazing for me to get work done without having to have, uh, you know, custies walking in and out and needing help. I can just get things done and it feels, feels good. So although it's kind of annoying to have to work a ton and for it to be busy, it's nice to just get things done so i feel that is that before day big yeah yeah pretty much dang yeah so uh, what do we have today my first topic uh it's funny because um i, I saw the ad for this it's called why yet why yet i don't know if it's yet or why yet it's a um kind of i don't know if it's like a personal like blog like vanity domain or is it going to evolve to something more um basically it's uh, a way to like have an identity but it's formed up of emojis so that's why i started to like um like, like notice like oh you changed your name to emojis like <laughs> my um on Twitter, right? Yeah, I noticed that. I'm, I'm, so, I'm still not really understanding that. I mean, I, I saw it, and now, what is this? Like, why? why? So, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of fun. Uh, it's a URL you can put in. So, if you put in y.at slash the pepper, the rock, like, hand, star, and a penguin, you come up, it link you to my like page and it talks about me i have a couple links on up right now but does that only work with emoji yeah you can 
use fo those four emojis and it'll get me get you to my page. But I mean, does that service only work with emoji names, or can you just use a normal alphanumeric? So yeah, the, the so the whole point is to kind of like own your have that that those emojis will kind of identify you. So hmm. you could use it for payment. That's with the um, strat. I guess the plan for the using this is you could use it for payment, or maybe if you like, just want to tell someone like, "Hey, yeah, you can just look me up with these three emojis. How many lot?" long you want it so i could just say like find me find my only fans at y.at slash you know, like eggplant 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 egg, yeah eggplant eggplant and fire yeah and then yeah. and then it would just and, take <laughs> you to whatever you want okay i get it yeah so um, it's sort of like those link in a bio things except you just use emoji because it's cute and eggplanty yeah uh and the cool thing is you can purchase it once and you own it forever um Oh, so you so paid for it. Yeah, it's it's, it's a, like um so it, each emoji uh set is unique. Once you buy it once, no one else could use it. Um hmm. So they call that a rhythm uh score or something around those like rhythm because there's um like the have all the emojis, right? There's some that are going to be used more, and depending on how many there are, there's it'd be easier or more common to find those emojis. Like, so in his and they their like pricing, they compared a three emoji uh, URL to like a first edition Charizard the rarity. Like one out of fifteen hundred or something, and so they priced it accordingly up to like one hundred thirty bucks. And I'm like, I don't want to pay that much, so I did like, made a four emoji um, URL, which is like seven bucks. Oh, so if I want to like pay nothing, I can just use like ten eggplant emojis. Yeah, I mean that might be taken. So you might you might want to mm -hmm. get on that. I guess that's popular, right? <laughs> to change one of them to something else, but I'll think about it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was cool because, I mean, it's simple. You could share it easily, and everyone knows about emojis. Everyone has a phone. It's like modern. It's everyone, if you have a phone, you know about emojis. Everyone uses emojis. So, I mean, might as well have one. And It's funny, yeah. It's so common now that like emojis are so prevalent. I've worked with, uh, I have some customers come into the, to work with me, and, They've, I think it was last week or the week before, somebody wanted to make a book. And so I was helping them kind of lay it out and they had text and photos. And, uh, you know, I was just going through, okay, where do you want this and that? And, oh, where are your files? And how do you, and they had written, part of the text they'd written, like different documents just included emoji in it. And I said, oh, I, you know, I'm sorry, but it looks like the printing, the printing software we use is not going to recognize these emoji. And they're like, oh, that's fine. But just the idea that the emoji had been included as like a normal thing it's it's part of it's sort of become part of written language now for a lot of people you know it's it's like uh almost like extending the alphabet now to these uh i guess you'd call them like pictograms or characters but like, in, uh, in a way they kind of they can kind of mean a lot you know we've I've, i remember a long well i say a long time ago but some years ago when emoji were just kind of becoming a thing here in the west 
I know they've been pretty big in Japan for a super long time or other places, but I, I remember a lot, the attitude was kind of like, oh, haha emoji, like, everybody just sort of rolled their eyes, and it's like, what, you know, whatever. But, you know, after it's been so long, I feel like it's just become super normal. Like, I just, I don't know, and I use them now more than I kind of thought I would. And it, it, is, it is kind of fun, it's an easy way to just react to something, or to send a thought, or to label something that's very specific, and it's short. So it's like, it's not a word. It's a little pictogram. Um, so I guess my attitude toward emoji has gotten a little more accepting over the years. Now I'm kind of just on the bandwagon, like, yeah, cool, emoji, that's fine. That, that's that's just a part of life now. Yeah. Okay, there it is. Should work if you put that in. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, my brother... Uh, I told him about it, he's kind of interested, because you could actually use it for linking as your payment or your um yeah your payment for like uh cryptocurrency um so it's kind of nice to be able to link it up through that instead of having like a huge domain or like some kind of i don't know nameless url um yeah, and so he he ended up like uh, buying this interest. They have like this event that's coming up that like you buy it and then you get a chance of like having it like turn into so it's a cloud seed and turns into like a rose and then if you get if you're lucky, you basically can choose from any of the remaining two um, emoji like URLs, which I guess is pretty rare. Hmm. So uh, I was thinking about it, but I don't know. Six, it's sixty dollars. I was like, mm. it guarantees you like a three emoji thing, which is well. There's compared. two arguments with that too. It's like you could, you know, people uh, people can justify spending money on whatever they want if they like it. You know, that's totally fine. I've spent a lot of money on frivolous things because I enjoy them. But if you yeah. if you're if you're still on the edge of it, you're like, well, maybe, yeah, you know, like, is this gonna actually bring any value to my life? I mean. If if you just want to buy it for fun, then buy it for fun. But if if you want to buy it, and if you're trying to justify it, it's also like maybe you need, uh, maybe you know, for some people there isn't actually a value in this, and for other people there isn't really a value, and it's just a vanity thing or just for fun. So I guess you have to think about that um, when you're deciding whether it's worth spending that much money on it for you. Yeah. Uh, I I can't remember if it was like an NFT. I don't think it's actually an F- NFT, but. I feel like it has the same like uh like feel of that same like no because like you're basically saying like hey this is my set of you uh emojis you can no one else can get it right you have those um for your identity I'm not sure if it's like well it's like any other universal. service that lets you keep your um keep your username or whatever forever i know if you go if you sign up for email at hey like hey.com email yeah uh, i think you do have to pay for it but once you've paid for it, it i think it's yours forever that specific address and there's uh, there's been a couple other services i think that can do that too so with this service you probably get to keep that url or that at least uh, that string of emojis on that url but if you were to go to a different service obviously you'd have to buy those emojis again or whatever else so for, yeah. for this service it lasts yeah, I was just thinking, like, what's stopping, like, any other, like, website or a huge company from doing this and just 
destroying this like one-off little company. Well, yeah, nothing. Like, Facebook can do it. Like they could just do f dot b um, k slash any emoji and then just yeah. sell them and then yeah, this. Well, and that has I mean, happened I, before too. Remember, there were things but, like. Uh, maybe they're still around, but TwitPic or uh, Bitly or all these things, and then they kind of got turned into features just by things like Twitter or whatever, where it's just built in now. And, uh, you know, it's those other services might still survive, but the vast majority of people use whatever's default on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Yeah. I think I started just using Twitter because I'm too lazy to put t- TwitPic in. I did get my uh, iMac that I uh, said I would get. So yeah, that's super exciting. It's the first time yeah, you've I've... had a new computer in like a long over a decade, probably. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like the the last one I got was after high school or like right at the end of high school. Um, me and Nick like uh, we had some old computers that a teacher was um, going to throw away because they're old and they got new like iMacs or something so the <laughs> the emacs they had lying around and they're like oh yeah we'll take him and use him so that was like my first like own desktop that i had um in mind like, this in is my, what we're talking about is an emac room. which had a g4 processor and the emac was made from <laughs> i don't even know if they sold them in 2006 it was like sort of a 2004 5 kind of product maybe 2006 it's like the last crt mac design and um, our school had this lab of them. It was they taught you know, graphic design or whatever on them. And at the time, they were fine <laughs> machines. But like you said, they they updated the machines. And then I don't. The thing I don't really know. It just seemed way too easy to me when we just found out they were <laughs> like. Yeah. I don't know how they gave them to us because we just said, "Hey, can we have these?" And I guess the teacher signed off on it. Like I, it seems like there would be a little bit more checking. Like, oh, where are we going to? Who are we giving these to? And all that. But hey, whatever. We took them and. Uh, I still have mine actually. It's sitting next to me right here. Um, huh. I don't use it that often, but it's a. Be- I actually really love that design. It's yeah, something that, super yeah, spacey and like the the white polycarbonate and stuff. It's a really. It's I think it's a classic Apple design that most people never really got to use or see because it was really more of an education commuter computer. So hmm. super. Those are fun little computers that have good memories for me. But even at the time when we got those, they weren't exactly like some nice new desktop. You know, this is like a blown out old school computer <laughs> <laughs> that uh, Trevor was using. And hey, you know, it's kind of served its purpose. And I remember coming over there once to install an airport car or something because it didn't even have Wi-Fi. But <laughs> yeah. So now you know. So that's kind of the history of desktops. And so jump from that to like this new Mac, which is pretty pretty fresh and new, literally coming out pretty much today. And Trevor got to underbox that, so that's pretty fun. And you got the green one, right? Yeah, I got the the green uh, teal, like sea green um, front, and it's like a darker green in the back. But it's super light. Like I totally like when they said, and like I saw, I watched one review on YouTube because I didn't want to like completely spoil it. And he said it was super light, so I was like, okay. And then when I actually picked it up, it felt like maybe like. A little heavier than like an iPad. It's like, <laughs> well, it's yeah, crazy. maybe like five or ten iPads, but still, yeah, totally. Right. It's 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 interesting because so many people have been complaining and saying, yeah, who cares how light it is? But hey, have you ever tried to move one of the older iMacs? It's not like fun. I mean, I'm not a weak person, but they're always awkward because they're shaped and they're stand. So it's kind of like I think part of it being lighter is good for a consumer product. The more they can just make the computer disappear, make it small and 
I think I think that's a good design goal for the consumer iMac. Hopefully the the Pro one or whatever ends up being a little little bit chunkier and you know has more features. But I think for this one, I think it's kind of cool that it it's really just a big floating iPad, um, and I think that's fine for what it is. I don't know. And you so you've started it up and stuff. Would you have any impressions? Because you haven't really used much of any modern Macs, and you haven't. This is so it's like using a new Apple Silicon Mac and just not having having used a Mac really for yeah. years. So. Is it is it fine or have you? I guess you haven't yeah. really had too much time to use it yet, right? Yeah, I booted up and like went through the uh, like setup process. So it's it's pretty quick, streamlined, and I didn't sign in at first because um, I just want to get to the desktop and start using it. Yeah. Um, the Touch ID is really awesome. You could just. As it was asking, like doing setup, like, oh, do you want to use a touch ID instead of like a password? And like, yeah, of course. And it, it was like seamless. All I did is like put my finger on it like four to five times, and it got it all um, covered. Yeah, they've been doing that for such a long time that they have it pretty, um, pretty well made. I mean, it's like it's really it's basic, I guess, but it's it's definitely convenient. I like. Before I had it on my computers, I only had it on the phone or the iPad, and I was like, okay, I guess it'll be fine on the computer. Like, I can type, I have a keyboard right there, I can type a password. But now, every time, if I do have to type a password, it feels archaic. I'm like, where's my face ID or touch ID? Like, <laughs> I guess I'm just spoiled on it now, but it just seems so, it seems, seems really natural to just not have to type anything, whether you're just looking at a device with your face or if you just briefly tap the ID button. Uh, anything like that seems nice, especially I find it, I love it when I'm either buying stuff online and it's doing Apple Pay or whatever, or just filling in my yeah. passwords online. Because I was frequently, I have a couple of services or different Google accounts or whatever, and I have to log in and log out for different things. And it's really nice not to have to type the password. Like, first world problems completely. But it's nice, uh, it's a smoother experience to just touch the key and then it's logged in. So it's kind of cool, so I agree. Kind of dangerous because if you have it linked up to... Uh something you want to buy and you just like oops i accidentally touched my id yeah i guess yeah, well, it's you, done. Still to, you still have to click on it and <laughs> click apple pay and click you know click purchase so if you, if you accidentally yeah. get it all the way to your cart <laughs> but you know what is funny i was looking uh because i look at because i spent all my time looking at cameras and stuff i was looking at these uh super high-end cameras that cost 40 or fifty thousand dollars, and there's a well there's a dealer a dealer that sells them and you can order them. It takes multiple weeks to get them, and they're kind of the highest end you can buy. But the funny, I just started chuckling because they, it's like, oh, buy now with Apple Pay. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, really? <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was really funny. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, who is going to casually just go to a website? Where, it's like, it's like imagine going to a website and buying a car for $50,000 and just Apple paying and saying, okay, cool, yeah, and just ship it to me in five weeks. <laughs> I don't know. And maybe I think that's probably intended more for like the accessories they sell on their site or something. Maybe somebody wants to buy a cable and yeah, okay, Apple Pay, but it's on every product. And so I was just like, oh God, I wish I had a, you know, I wish I had a life, a lifestyle, a job, which I could sustain where I could just casually Apple Pay a $50,000 camera. So yeah, yeah, watch out. Watch out if you're looking at that stuff. You don't want to accidentally Apple Pay yourself all of your bank account and then just <laughs> end up on the streets. <laughs> and end up having to shoot uh, family photos all day. Yeah, I'm not... You know, it's not really my thing. I've mentioned that before, but I... It's a decent business, and, you know, I do have that... I have a shoot coming up tomorrow, and the one thing That'd I'll say fine. is it's nice that it's... Like, they did specifically request a studio session that's more 
kind of modern and like they're they're not asking for what they see everybody else do, especially here in this beautiful coastal California area where everybody goes to the beach or the mountains and does like, and I can do that. That's easy too. I can shoot some rolls of film, but this is like, they wanted something a little like a black background with studio lights. That looks a little bit more, uh, I want to say editorial. Yeah. So, and they seem pretty cool. It's a, it's a big family and I'm not really good at, it's not my specialty, but anyway, yeah, (laughs) that'll be interesting. And, it's a, you know, we do the things we do to pay the bills, right? And hopefully it'll be yeah. a good, it'll be a good, like, the, the ideal is, like, to make it something enjoyable. Like, you want to enjoy what you do, whatever your job is. So I'm trying right. to look at myself and say, hey, maybe I'm not really comfortable getting three-year-old kids to smile on camera, but maybe I'm, maybe I can find other ways to make it worth it. Like, oh, maybe I can practice posing people together or whatever it is. So <laughs> I, I, I'm looking forward to that um, tomorrow morning. But it is cool as a sort of a side tangent from all this, I did set up a a cool little creative portrait shoot um, in the afternoon tomorrow. So I'm going to go drive to that family shoot, pack up, get all that stuff out, uh, stop at the photo lab and do some things and then come back, set up my home studio and then shoot some interesting kind of weird photos. So maybe um, Hmm. I hope I'm starting, I'm hoping I have a bunch of ideas now. So maybe I'll have more to talk about in the podcast in terms of what I'm producing with photos because I haven't done too many photo projects, but I built a outdoor studio kind of thing, some walls um, out of yeah, just big awesome. things of wood, and I'm hinging them together. I'm trying to do more interesting things, so maybe I'll have more to talk about on that front. When because um, Alex always asks me, "What have I been working on? What what am I doing?" And generally, it's like I've been working on nothing, or I've been buying camera gear that I don't use. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully, there'll be something to say within the next week or two. Yeah, I took a. I want to try like uh, a couple of the features of the iMac. Like, um, I really liked how just setting up it, like prompts you, like, oh, yeah, you want to connect your keyboard. So it's like, oh, shoot, yeah. So it's just like, I turned it on just by switching it to like pair. And it just works seamlessly. The same thing with the mouse. And then, like, even just plugging in the whole iMac was just one cord. And it was just too, too simple. Like, it's so nice yeah it's definitely i think that's one of the things that people i guess it brings it back you know they i remember the original imac was all about their big marketing campaign was like instead of being a lot of computers with people thought it was a lot of steps like back in you know 1999 or 8 or 2000 even you know you bought a pc and you had to plug in the display plug in the keyboard and mouse plug in um you know, if you have speakers, plug in all these different things. And with the iMac, it was pretty much just plug it in, again, then plug in your keyboard, plug in the phone jack, and there's no step three. You can just go online. And I kind of feel like that's, they're trying to get back to really, I don't know, the, the whimsy of the packaging and the simplicity of the onboarding. They're really trying to make it like, I can see, I can see this iMac appealing to somebody who's had an iPad for four years and now wants a big screen. You know, it's like, it's bringing the simplicity, but it's still a real Mac. You can still do all the Mac things on it. But they're, I yeah. think they're really f- starting to, I don't know, bring bring some of that, really polish it up to make it feel more like as easy as the iOS onboarding, but also it's still a full Mac and you can do whatever you want with it. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I definitely like can see the change. Um, that they adopted a lot more of like mobile aesthetics into a desktop environment because the dock is... It's more uh, like 
standardized to what the iPhone's uh, like the iOS dock looks like and like the even the app like layout when you like you look into apps it's like kind of looks like a Apple like a home screen all the big icons and yeah well the default I mean I can understand why they're trying to share some of and certain apps like um, notes and mail the basic apps that are included with the system music they're some of them look sort of like the iPad versions of the apps you know they have the column view on the left and then you choose your content and it shows on the right but that as long as it works and it's decent I think it's it's not bad to have some similarity because yeah they, it's like they they own both the platforms they want them they're still they're still different platforms but there's no reason why they should be totally different visually if, if you can keep people familiar with them you know if I if I don't, I don't want to feel discordant when I put my iPad down and go to my iMac. I want it to feel like these are both made by Apple and I can I can infer how they work just by by one or the other, you know? They shouldn't feel like totally, completely separate experiences. You can do more on a Mac for sure, but hopefully they can work on iPad OS because now they, you can buy an iPad with the same processor that you have in your iMac, but it can only do, you know, it's still kind of hamstrung, but iPad OS. Yeah, I took, I took a photo on it. It's not bad. I feel like it's... Uh... It was pretty clear. It's not super like uh, sharp, but oh, the the built-in um, webcam. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah, even know. I mean, Mac Mac, Mac hardware has not been that there. great for like video conferencing. So any improvements good there. They're a little late for the whole pandemic thing, but I'll, you know we'll take it. Any, <laughs> it's slow, steady improvements better than nothing. Yeah, that's uh, my first impressions. It all like the audio sounds pretty nice for like a built-in sound system in a then like, as an iPad almost uh, display. Yeah, people say it sounds like surprisingly kind of weighty. Like it has some decent bass for being so thin. Yeah, and it's just the grill's just like on the bottom of it, like on the bottom edge of it. Yeah, it fires so. down to the desk and it bounces up. Yeah. Cool. Well, hopefully you'll like use it some more. Maybe you'll have more thoughts. But that's a it's a really nice computer. And after having lived the M1 life for a while, I can verify that it's it's a very capable. Um, it's, you know, it's gonna be fast enough to do anything you want on it. So I think you're gonna have a good Definitely. time. Definitely. Yeah. Um. I'll probably be using it more once I am at the new place. Uh, I'm moving out of here like yeah, into this month, which is like more than a little less. No, more than a week, right? It's wow, like, yeah. What, June 1st, is it Saturday or something? Time's fun when you're having flies. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely having flies. Uh, the um, Yeah, I need a desk. So it's just on my like dining room table right now, so yeah, figure that out. An accessory for your iMac, a whole desk. <laughs> right? It is interesting. Uh, I'm like the... The M1, we've talked about it many times before, but just even for this podcast, since we started recording, like, what, 25 minutes ago or something, uh, I'm using my MacBook Air, and it literally says 100% battery life still, and I've just been browsing on it. So, you know, maybe I'm just using it very lightly, but it's really efficient. Obviously, it doesn't really matter as much for a desktop, but it's an awesome chip to be using in a computer where I can just sit here and not be draining my battery constantly versus the... The fat 16-inch MacBook that I'm using now, since recording, it's dropped almost half battery life and the fan's on because it's so hot. 
It's a fast <laughs> computer, but like, thanks Intel. <laughs> Loving that versus my cool and silent MacBook Air, which is just as fast and is still at 100% battery. So the future is bright for Apple's own computers, uh, their own silicon for their computers. Yeah, I wonder, hmm. I wonder if the, since it is a desktop, maybe they can um, use M1 chip to a full capacity compared to like a desktop, uh, like a laptop or a mobile device. Since I think they definitely didn't have can. to wait. Like worry about battery ones, life. Yeah, I don't think it runs at any sort of higher clock, but if you could, if you sustain load, like you're exporting video or doing lots of work, the fan will turn on, you know, really still very quietly, but enough to keep it cool where it sustains the performance. Whereas on my MacBook Air, if I were to do that, it would probably th- throttle eventually. Um, I don't use mine that heavily, this computer, so it's fine. But, you know, like basically you could use yours to the full extent and it would it would never slow down versus some of the small computers. Like the iPad would probably have to throttle because it's really, really then yeah cool uh, so one of the other topics i thought we would just touch on was that prol- proliferation of these lossless music streaming services uh, i know that various ones have existed for a while uh, to be honest i'm just right now talking out of my ass because i don't remember exactly but I'm pretty sure that didn't wasn't one of the things with Tidal was that they offered either a higher resolution audio stream from the beginning or or it was an extra option. But there's been different services that you can get that are really focused on quality. And it seems now there was a rumor that Apple was going to do it and then Spotify kind of preempted them and they announced theirs and then Apple announced theirs. And uh, you'll have to mention, I guess, if you know if Google's doing it. But it's kind of interesting to me that this is sort of just coming. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about it around. And so it's kind of interesting to see if they market this as a general feature that a lot of people are going to want. I think to be totally fair, I think the vast majority of people would never, they don't have hardware that could with which they could listen to music and tell the difference. And even if they had the speakers or the headphones to do that, I don't think I still don't think that they would, but for the few people that do want it, I think it's awesome that at least with the Apple music one, it's going to be no extra charge. They're going to upgrade all the songs and you can just choose to stream in high quality if you want. I know other services charge more for that, so I'm happy that Apple's doing it that way. But does Google offer that? Do you know? Uh, so far, I haven't heard anything on the Google front. I did. Wasn't I thought Title was um like a just a higher quality like MP3 file or something. Hmm, yeah, I'm not sure exactly, but I do, I think that part of their thing was that like oh we're the qual one of the quality services and like artists were talking about going on their service because it sounded better and yeah maybe it did compared to spotify or apple music or something but now if you can go to spotify and apple music and whatever else and get really um maybe not not totally uncompressed but compressed full quality lossless compressed music then you know the title suddenly doesn't i'm not really sure exactly what title offers all i'm saying is that i know that they had a quality that was their quality was one of their points and so now they're kind of with, some, with something like Apple Music just adding full lossless streaming to their entire catalog, then does that take one of the sort of tent poles away from Tidal? I don't, I don't know. Maybe people don't switch between them that much, but I still th- I, I still think of Spotify as probably the giant and then all the other ones. I know Google's pretty big, and Apple Music always surprises me in how many people are subscribed. I always think it's just, like, not as popular as... People don't talk about it as much, because people I know talk about Spotify, but... Apparently, Apple Music has a decent amount of subscribers, and I'm sure Google has their share. So, I guess they're all moving toward one way or another, offering some more uh, high quality streaming options. 
it is it was kind of interesting that from what I've read, I could be wrong, but what I saw was that Apple's own headphones won't support the high quality streaming, like if you have AirPods or AirPods Max even, because they use a certain type of Bluetooth that can't handle the data rate or something. So that's kind of lame uh, and odd. Um, I, I, can, I can understand it technically maybe, but it's still not a great look to say, hey, I bought $500 Apple headphones and it's not going to stream their high quality service. But maybe that can maybe they can find a way to make that change. They can optimize the streaming for that. I don't know. But I, I was thinking to myself too, you know, you're probably not going to hear that much of a difference unless you have good enough speakers or headphones. And if you have a good um, DAC, you know, digital analog converter, and a lot of people don't have that. So it's, I feel like it's one of those boxes that they just, like, you know how with every product there's a box they check because everybody else has it or because they think that people want to hear it, but they're not actually going to use it. There's ton, that always happens in every market. Like in photography, all these cameras have features that, okay, we have to shoot 4K video, even though, like, all the YouTubers want that, but, the, like, you know, the actual hundreds of thousands of people buying the camera aren't, or they're just shooting pictures. So I feel like that's just sort of like one of those things where a lot of people are going to see this, oh, high-quality streaming, great, that's good, I should sign up for this service, and then most people are just not going to even be able to tell a difference. I I think that I could. I think if I was given an A-B test, I probably could, because I'm pretty critical. Um, but I don't know, do, do you think you can hear the difference? Have you tried it before, or do you, th- do you think of yourself as somebody who would hear the difference between a really good compressed music file and a, and a lossless one? <laughs> I I, uh, I like to think that I could because I remember uh, like back in uh, my EMAC days, I'd like torrent and uh, all the lossless quality of any album I wanted to listen to because I thought, hey, yeah, it's going to be high quality. It's going to sound so much better. And then you listen Maybe to it on the just EMAC like, speakers or cheap headphones and you're like, yeah, this sounds way better, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was like, the EMAC speakers are good. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so I was like... Maybe it was a placebo effect because they thought like, oh yeah, I'm using flack and it's better than. I mean, I definitely uh, think part of it is placebo because I, I think it's pretty much proven. Like, you're not going to get a big. I don't think you're going to get much improvement from most consumer hardware, but maybe you'll get a little bit of it. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm tempted to find a way to try it. I was thinking about buying a like a separate like a USB DAC for my computer. I have some pretty nice speakers. I have those audio engines that I bought. I think could those combined with a good DAC and lossless streaming, I think. I don't know if I would A/B test it and find it a lot better, but there's no there's no way it would sound worse. So I don't know. Maybe I'll do that. I thought I heard. I thought the only um, Apple product that was enabled was the the new like uh, headphones, right? There's like the only ones that they allowed. And I thought that was funny because okay, that that that's fine because if you have <laughs> the lossless music and then you you bought the five hundred or four hundred dollar headphones, you should be able to. Well, like, I don't know. Because what I what I read and heard was that those can't. Uh, maybe they can do. Lo- I don't know. Lo- most of their headphones can't do lossless, but they can do Dolby Atmos spatial audio, which is a separate thing. And they're also bringing that to Apple Music, so it's going to be like. Oh, a maybe that's what it was. Yeah, so that's like a different kind of mixing or mastering where they can. It's almost like surround audio, and that I I haven't heard it yet. I, I'll be able to listen to it. I can try it out. But when it comes out, but that's going to be coming to like a much smaller amount of songs because you have to do the mixing for it. But that's going to be supported by almost all their headphones. But the actual lossless, high-quality streaming—I don't know if that is. So maybe we can. Re- maybe I'll report back on this once I've once it comes out, and because I, I have Apple Music and I have some AirPods Pro and I have nice speakers, so I'll <laughs> I'll try to use it and I'll see what it looks like and what it sounds like. But I just thought it would be an interesting thing to bring up because it's one of those areas where 
Some people are very passionate about it and they can hear the differences immediately, they say, and other people would never hear it. You know, I was in the car once with somebody and even on a car stereo while we were on the highway, you know, very noisy environment, they put on a CD that they had ripped from YouTube downloads. So very, pretty low quality, you know, and they were saying, oh yeah, they didn't even say anything. They just put the music on and hey, I've Gosh. listened, I, I've listened to Bad Romance way more times than I care to admit. So I know exactly how it's supposed to sound. And they, they put it on and I was like, well, this doesn't, something is really wrong with this. Like, is your, is your stereo broken or something? And they said, oh, what? Like, no, it sounds totally normal to me. So I think, wow. you know, I don't have perfect ears, but I think that if, some people are more critical than others. You know, I hear it immediately. I was like, this is not right. This is compressed as fuck. Like, how can you listen to this? It's trash. And they had no idea. They thought it sounded great. So it kind of put me back to reality thinking, okay, maybe people really just don't care. As long as they can kind of hear the song, they're fine. I don't know. Yeah, the... What was it? And no, I forgot what my train of thought. It was... Um... Yeah, wasn't it? It was like a, a big... They tried to make a big deal of it, saying like, oh, um, music's going like to change or something. And then the next day they announced it. But then they didn't even release it, and they said like, "Oh yeah, it's gonna be available what June sixteenth or something." June something. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how they like try to make a huge deal out of it. I think the only yeah, it's not particular. It's not a new idea, but I do think isn't it? I guess it's kind of novel that they're not gonna charge anymore for it. They're just gonna. They said it'll be up for millions of songs at first, then eventually all seventy-five million Apple Music songs. So that's pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty. I I can't think of the last time Apple did something that was really like upgrading your content or giving away a feature basically for free like that without having to charge more for the service. So that's unusual for them, it seems like. So they really seem to be leaning into it as a feature just to sell more subscriptions as opposed to sell upgraded ones. You know, you don't have to pay $5 more. That's you're just true, getting yeah. it, which is, like I said, it's rare for Apple to leave money on the table like that. The only other time I can think of it is when they, they added 4K HDR to iTunes. And if you had ever bought iTunes movies or in your library that had upgraded the the actual, like if they had upgraded versions, they just automatically gave them to you, which is pretty cool. Wow. So now I yeah, have like nice. the, I have the 4K HDR, like Lord of the Rings and oh, I what? Think the Matrix and all this stuff in my library just because Apple like upgraded it for me. So that's pretty cool. Um, that's the only other, other than that, Apple's usually more, more like, okay, pay more for the service and you'll get more. So I, I guess I'll accept, I'll accept higher quality streaming f- with no extra charge. That's, I'll take that as a win. One thing uh, I think people should expect is like, okay, if you guys do go for the loss, let's listen to it. It's going to drain a lot more of your um, data. So just be careful about that. Yeah, I haven't really thought about that that much, but I, I suppose that's true. But I wonder if we're going to see that people trying it out and then maybe leaving it on accidentally and blowing through some data caps. Uh, <laughs> what, a th- what, a, what a thing to worry about. Fuck data caps. How about that? Yeah, have a how ISP, that Google? ISPs and cell carriers are the actual worst. So, I can I I feel I can I can say that again. Fuck that! Like, just give us unlimited. Come on, stop complaining. Totally. I know. Like, I always blow through my T-Mobile like what fifty gigabytes of like, fifty gigs. You put, do you use it? For, I, well, I guess you use your phone for everything. Yeah, I listen to a lot of music at work, and sometimes it's through YouTube music. Well, most of the time it's YouTube music. So, I don't know how much I use it. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I have, I don't, I'm, I'm generally like at home or at work on Wi-Fi, but I, use, I still use my cell connection a lot. And it just seems, 
I will admit, I don't know the details technically about how the cell network really works, but I still think that for the most part, most of it is BS. (laughs) Like, just give us... Anyway, I'm not going to rant too much because we have other things to talk about, but... Anyway, yeah. you have something to talk about with Google Cloud and Elon Musk and Starlink. Yeah, hit um, me with that. Speaking about Starlink, uh, I remember like um, Nick Tech sent me like uh, a week ago. Like, oh yeah, Starlink uh, is generally available for like people that's in the area. Like, wasn't it? Is it still in beta? It's not in beta, right? It's like I, th- I think it still is in beta, isn't it? Oh, well, anyways, Starlink is. Uh, we talked about it couple times before they have uh, Elon Musk's like SpaceX program uh, has these satellites that are going to be like clustering outside the hemisphere. It certainly sounds like a cluster. Yeah, and they um they basically you pay for enough, you pay like five thousand dollars, no five hundred dollars, and then they set up one of the satellites to beam down internet access. Um. At the moment, what a hundred um, megabits? Is that what it was? I think they they, they claim that the high would be about a hundred megabits per second. And I read one of the reviews, and they said that in ideal conditions, you can get almost to that speed. Maybe I think a little bit more or a little less. But it's for a hundred dollars a month. It seems like it's current downfalls that it the coverage is still kind of spotty, and the line of sight is a big issue. Anything like a small tree or flagpole or anything that part of a house that blocks it can take your internet down, internet down for just a moment, either a moment yeah. or a little bit longer as the satellites are going through the sky. So it's a, it's a good, it's a cool idea to bring decently fast internet to people who might not have access to it. You know, if you can give it to someone who's in a rural, rural area or for whatever reason doesn't have good access. Yeah. yeah, or maybe, I don't know, there's lots of places where it's applicable but on the other hand it's like maybe not super maybe not maybe not a reason to switch to it yet if you have a decent connection already yeah i i, I was interested at first but when i saw that installation fee for high 500 bucks like it kind of discourages me because like I, i'm fine paying 100 bucks a month if it's like a super fast like reliable connection because i've had enough like issues using uh, past internet providers cutting out and ruining certain games and yeah yeah so, i was thinking about that too but i it's different if you're if you're using a video service that can buffer or if you're just browsing the internet if your internet service goes down temporarily for a second or two or a few seconds or half a second you don't really notice that because you're reading a web page or you're buffering a video. But if you're doing anything live, like a call or a Zoom or Skype or FaceTime, or if you're doing a real-time game, you know, if you're playing Overwatch or whatever it is, that that's going to make a difference if your internet flakes out for just a second or two. And I don't know, you know, that that's what would make me hesitate because I do play online games and stuff where I don't want the internet connection to break. If I didn't yeah. do that, if I only did read articles or watched a video that could buffer, maybe it would be not not as much of an issue. But as as long as you're somebody who relies on real time communication via the internet, I would I would still maybe wait for the Starlink thing to get a little better. I don't know. Better deployed. Yeah, but it's I mean it's a cool idea. It's interesting that it even works at all. Like uh, some of those things, I'll just say it. Like some of those crazy. Musk ideas. Maybe, I guess maybe he does follow through on most of them, but it's cool. I remember hearing about Starlink and then, hey, they're actually doing it. You see those tweets all the time about more Starlink satellites being deployed. 
and people actually can connect to the internet with it. So I guess the fact that it, that it exists is kind of good, I guess. Yeah, so Starlink, they have a deal that they announced last Thursday, not yesterday, um, that Google is going to work in partnership with um, SpaceX for Starlink and internet connectivity. So this is going to use, to enhance the Starlink satellites, it's going to use Google's private fiber optics network to make connections to it, like cloud services, part of a deal that could last seven years. Hmm. Yeah, so I thought it was unusual and interesting because uh, Google doesn't have any, like, kind of satellites, and to combine, like, both of these, I feel like it's like a first of its kind, having satellites and combining it with a, like, private um wired like super fast connection it could be a potentially a great internet like connection for many uh throughout the united states for for now because i don't think google fiber is outside in the united states yeah i have to remind uh, myself you know some of us have connections that are decent maybe 100 megabit connection or whatever maybe more and they're usable and they're decently fast or some people have even faster that some people have gigabit connections and i'm super i realize that my point of view is central coast california near silicon valley pretty good access to internet maybe not incredible here but you know not i'm not out in the middle of nowhere and a lot of people are out in the middle of nowhere wherever they live you know in various parts of the us or other parts of the world so I think the Starlink thing could be a pretty big deal to other people who have not had, you know, people who are using satellite-based internet with crazy data caps and slow speeds because they just can't get a wire up to wherever they live. I think this could be a really great thing for them. I'm for, for them, because I have to remind myself, hey, maybe it's not about immediately replacing broadband in a place right. that's already saturated with good wired cable or fiber optic but maybe it's for really extending the reach of broadband to places that didn't have good access before so hopefully this brings it to people who really haven't even had the chance to have a good internet connection at all can't imagine living um, like that the google's head of uh, global networking bitkash coley hopefully i said that right uh he said the real potential of the technology became very obvious power combining cloud with universal secure connectivity it's it's a very powerful combination um and then thomas kurian the ceo of google's cloud group said they chose us because of the quality of a network and the distribution and the reach of a network and that's true i mean they google's pretty much connected like throughout probably the west side of the united states i don't know how far they go east but they have a pretty wide uh, connection and it's secure at that. So I feel like it's a good deal for Google. They're not only working with Google. They also are working with Microsoft for some cloud um, providing. So good, I guess. Yes, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. Did you want to talk about <laughs> your new contacts? Or are you fun uh, going over I there? I don't know. I guess I don't know. I t- for I guess people who might know me at all, I, I have way too many cameras, and I have all the different kinds of cameras. 
And one of my favorite cameras is the Contact 645. It's a medium format camera. And I've been using one, I bought one a couple of years ago, and it was a super expensive, over-the-top camera, but beautiful. And it's become one of my favorite cameras to use, but I'm having a little bit of a shutter issue. So like a week, week and a half ago, I kind of, I don't want to save, I kind of impulse bought a, like a new one on eBay because I could get the one I have repaired, but not many people repair contacts cameras and repairs are expensive and there's no parts available. So they're really hard to find the parts. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to take a gamble. This person looks pretty legit. And I bought one. So I bought another, another, another model, another body of the camera that I already had. So it's one of those things that's not exactly, it's not exactly exciting because I already know the camera. I've been using it for years, but it's exciting that hopefully it works. So I ran a test roll through today and I would drop it off at, um, one of the place that can develop it for me and hopefully it'll work and be fine. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the basic update. But yeah, one thing that's interesting to think about is that, uh, you know, film photography, as I've talked about before, is kind of a big thing right now. It's, it's getting a lot, it continues to grow. And as somebody who works at a photo lab that processes film, I can say that our numbers continue to go up and we've talked to Fuji and Kodak, the, the people who make the film, and they said that they can't give us enough film to fulfill the orders because there's so much demand this year. Wow. Which is interesting because people think, oh, film is dead. Everybody always talks about digital cameras and digital digital cameras are great. Hey, I have multiple digital cameras. I love them, but I also love film. And it's interesting that, you know, film is, I'm wondering how long it's going to take till somebody can just make a new film camera. It's not that hard. People have, like Nikon and Canon and other brands have made them before. So when can they give us one? Because you think it can't be that expensive. Think of all the cost that goes into engineering a high-end uh, digital camera right now. And you could take the sensor, the one of the most expensive parts, you could take that sensor out and just put in a film transport like they used to have. They probably have the schematics lying around. They could, they could just put an old camera back into production and they would sell a decent amount of them. I, I want to say a ton because people want... A film camera now that they can buy for five hundred or thousand or fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars or whatever, and just have warranty support for a few years or whatever. There, there are there are many professionals still using it. So now that's one of the pitfalls I've realized is, hey, I love my old cameras, but every old film camera, no matter how expensive or professional it is, it's still old. You know, any hardware that's old, it's like it's like buying a car. Hey, this was an amazing car back in the day. It was the highest end car. But it's also 25 years old, so it might need repairs, and it's an exotic car, so it's going to need special parts. Same thing with these cameras. You know, I always think of my contacts cameras as high-end sort of sports car cameras where they're really great for what they do. They're beautiful and super fun to use, but if anything goes wrong, you're kind of fucked. So, I don't know. It's just a reflection on all that. It's like, when will the demand happen where some company will be, hey, we're going to actually make a decent new camera? And I, I don't know when that's going to be, but I'm hope I, I don't think it's going to be like Nikon or Canon, but maybe somebody like Pentax or something could do it. There's there must be some brand there who's willing to just put it back into production because if if they can't supply enough film for all the people who want to make who want to use it, there must be demand for some new cameras. Everybody's buying all these old cameras and they break and stuff. So I don't know. I just have a rant about that because I, I love all my cam- <laughs> <laughs> I love all my cameras equally. No, yeah, I, I love. <laughs> I love using film and it's just disappointing. I, I've had such a good run with all my, ca- I've, I have very few tech problems. Like most of the tech I buy works and most of my cameras work. All my digital cameras have had no problems, but then getting a, you know, of course one of my film cameras starts to have a little bit of a shutter problem and that's, it makes sense. It's old, but it's discouraging. It reminds me that the sad reality of, Oh wait, this is an old thing that 
nobody really can service that well. So I don't know. It's it's the opposite of having the newest thing where, hey, you know, if I, I also own that GFX 100, which is an insane medium format digital camera, really incredible, like one of the one of the best digital cameras you can buy. And with that, if it breaks, I can I know I can send it to Fuji and then they'll go they'll repair it in New Jersey and they'll send it back and it'll be fine. So it's it's like you don't feel as bad spending six, six to eight, six to ten thousand dollars on one of those because, you know, hey, it's going to be supported for years. But I've spent at least that much money on my contact system. And hey, if that shutter fails, I have to spend enough money to either buy a whole new one or spend a thousand dollars on the part and labor to get it fixed. So it's a. a weird thing, you know, it's one of those, I can't, it's hard to think of another, I guess like, the only thing I can think of is maybe people who like old cars, where yeah, antiques. They maybe they use them on the weekends for fun, but they really, you have to baby them and make sure, hey, it's difficult to get the part, and you can't buy the part, so you have to find an old car and salvage the part from it, right. so I'm kind of going through that with my cameras, but as long as this one works, and if it works for me for like a year or two, and if I can get enough jobs out of it, hey, it'll pay for itself. It's my wedding camera. So I already have one lined up for June. That'll pay for the cost of the camera. So, hey, hopefully that's fine. But the saga, the never-ending saga of me buying cameras. And this now I have two contacts sitting here, one that's kind of broken. But the new one seems to work fine, so I'm happy. I mean, hey, now you have some backup pieces if you ever do have any broken parts. That's, and- that's the one super cool thing. Is I think a lot of people are so used to their, you know, almost... Unless you spend $40,000 on a phase one, most people buy a digital camera and they, they can change the lens on it, right? You buy a new lens for your camera. But a lot of, especially in the film days, uh, you could change all different kinds of parts. So I have for my contacts, the viewfinder comes off, the film magazine or the digital back comes off, the battery holder is kind of the grip that comes mm-hmm. off, the lens comes off, everything, it's it's very modular. So if the, ba- the yeah. body dies, or if maybe your film back has a problem, you just swap it in for a new one. I have four film backs, and if I have a problem, I just use a different one. I have two viewfinders now, so if the view- viewfinder metering breaks, I just swap the other one out. So it's, it's kind of it, kind of fun that way. You know, most digital cameras now, if something breaks, you just send the whole camera back for repair or buy a new one. So yeah. it's nice, it's nice, modularity is kind of cool. It's back, like, back in the day, whenever you had products that you could really oh, let me just order this one part and put it back on and it's working. Nowadays, everything is so small. All this technology, all the computers and phones and everything we use and cameras where you, one part breaks and you kind of just have to get the whole thing fixed or replaced. Whereas these old cameras are kind of big enough and this, the standard was to have it all repairable. So that's that's kind of nice. I have all these parts, so hopefully as long as one breaks, I can just replace the one part, not the whole system because that would be insane. Yeah, like everything now is like... Uh, one huge thing. It's like enclosed or like uh, unibody or something. Yeah. So, like the iMac, there's no way you can fix that. You have to send it back to Apple unless you know how what you're doing. But on the other hand, like do. for the most part, <laughs> at least especially with that iMac, it's unless there's a, there's a bit a defect, it's probably not really gonna fail. Like nowadays, things they don't need to be opened anymore. Really, like you don't have a hard drive that's spinning. The flash memory lasts forever. Like the the CPU barely gets hot, so there's not going to be any heat damage. It's really even on the iMac, the power supply is external. So if that fails, you can replace that. that so is, it's, yeah. it's a trade off, right? Like with these old cameras that I use, they're way more mechanical, so things are probably going to fail more. So you have to have it like interchangeable. Whereas nowadays, like if you buy a digital camera, it's probably unless unless you really mess with it, it's probably not going to break. So it's the trade off, right? You can't repair it as, as easily, but you probably don't need to because it's probably going to last a while. Yeah. 
Hmm. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see next time what new camera stuff I've bought or sold. But it's always something with me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking about trade offs, um, my next topic is oddly similar to that, um, but not mechanically. Um, talking about uh, the articles from Live Science, it says more accurate clocks may add more dis- disorder to the universe. Scientists say. It's a subtitle. Accuracy may come at a cost. And this deals with uh, the new study or like a idea of entropy, which is disorder. So in this context, it's saying every time a clock ticks, disorder is created. Um, so the more accurate a clock runs, the more entropy it generates. Um a physicist at uh, Oxford University told the this um, blog, uh, if you want your, accurate, your clock to be more accurate, you got to pay for it. Every time we measure time, we're increasing the universe's entropy, which I'm not sure if that actually means anything in current day, present day situations, because I don't know what disorder one clock tick can add to the universe um, to change things or whatever it does. But um, they say that the second law of thermodynamics states that the entropy of a system must increase, and they call it the area of time. Entropy is one of the few qualities, quantities in um, physics that sets time to go in a particular direction. From the past, where entropy was low to the future, where it will be high. Um, yeah, so... It's interesting because they they talk about disorder, right? Um, so it's kind of like uh, why it's easier to make. They say that's why it's easier to mix integrate uh, in- ingredients together than separate them out. Why headphones wires get <laughs> intricately detangled together in pants pockets? Um, yeah, so the way they get get a more accurate. Um, measurement of time is using like a quantum clock um it's a type of uh, atomic clock it uses laser cord atoms that jump at a highly regular interval um but it says it creates more disorder since it's more accurate um so i guess if it sounds good in theory i don't know like what it it actually means for us. Since clocks are in some way like little steam engines, the more you need to put work in for them to measure time. Work is the energy transfer needed to make mechanical devices like clocks run. In order to get that regular tick, 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 you have to get the machine going. That means you need to invest in entropy production. So, yeah. Uh, thought, I thought it was interesting. Because uh, one of my like last movies I saw in theaters before like the whole pandemic happened was Tenet, and they used the concept of entropy deeply in that movie. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. I I can't say I totally understand how the clocks can 
are they saying that every time you measure time, it's just adding more entropy to the universe? Is that, I didn't quite get that part, but it is interesting. I mean, like you said, another, it's always interesting to me trying to explain these sort of big concepts in ways that people can can understand. And one of them is, like you said, you know, headphone cables getting tangled in your pocket or whatever else it is, um, that it's always easier for things to become more chaotic or disordered than it is for things to become in an order or in in a certain formation. You know, things want to be free and chaotic. So it's kind of inter- an interesting topic, I guess. I, I do... I always have a hard time talking a whole bunch about sort of the space and time topics because I'm super interested in them and I watch, you know, lots of YouTube videos, but I, because I feel like I'm not really an expert, it's hard for me to say, to have like a an informed opinion. I can have an opinion, but... It's difficult for me to to speak with authority because I don't have authority on the subject. Yeah. So it says to test the idea, they had researchers, they bought like a simplified clock and then they used like a 50 nanometer thick, 1.5 millimeter long membrane stretched between two oh, tiny posts. Mm. So they, <laughs> they vibrated with pulses of electricity. So every flex up and down as a tick showed that more electrical signals made the clock tick more regularly and accurately, but at the cost of adding more heat and therefore more entropy to the system. Which is, yeah, makes sense. It's true. Um, so I guess the relationship does pan out as what we've discussed. Entropy happens more accurate clock is the more entropy is added to the universe hmm. uh, and it makes sense because if, if clocks didn't make a it didn't produce any entropy maybe they'd run backwards as well as they do forwards uh, maybe yeah so yeah time is fascinating uh, as far as the there's the psychological implication of time and how we perceive it as humans and then there's the more abstract what is time and why does it only flow in one direction and why can't we see one direction and not the other? And like I said, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos about it in space time, <laughs> but I don't, it's one of those things that's so fundamental to our existence. You know, it's very, we all, we all deal with time every day. Right now we are going forward in time or maybe not forward. We're going in one direction yeah, and we can see, we can, we can recall one direction. We can't see into the next direction. For what it is, most people don't really have, we don't have that good of a grasp on it or how it really works or how it can be stretched or uh, dilated or any of that. Because most people, that's not really applicable. But for something that's so day-to-day for our lives, it's it's always interesting for me to learn more about time because of that element of that. We always tell, there's so much that we say about time. Hey, the whole last year, 2020, time felt so strange to me. One month felt like a year, and then three months felt like a week. You know, because of the t- pandemic and everything that was happening, the perception of time can be so different than the, I guess, the mathematical realities of time or the scientific realities of time right. or the unrealities of it and how lots of our perceptions as a construct of, it, there's so much to it. So time is really fascinating in that way. And that's why I love learning more about it. Yeah, so that's something to think about. Definitely. <laughs> I have one more mini topic. Um, I don't really have too much to say about it, just that it was interesting to me. I came across it 
it was a article about this uh, using it was specifically about selling film photographs as nfts i know we've talked about nfts here before which is why it reminded me of this podcast and i thought it was just kind of funny that obviously you can sell almost any sort of digital thing as a as an nft but the article specifically was sort of trying to explain nfts to people who shoot film or who do analog photography in different other ways and it was kind of entertaining to me because we've gone so far to this abstract idea of originally film was an artifact. You take a photograph on film and then you use optical processes to process that into a print or maybe just a film positive or negative. And you have a physical, like the whole thing was that it's physical, it's analog. You have a physical process, a chemical process, and you end up with something in your hand. And then if you have to scan it to show it to somebody digitally, you're 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 scanning it. You're not. You're. It's not like you give when you give somebody an analog like a darkroom print. You're giving them a print that you made. It's like it's an artifact, you know. And it's, here's a representation of what happened when light shined through that negative onto paper, and it was processed with chemicals. And then when you scan it, which I do with all my film, it turns into something else. It's now a scanned digital image. And then you take it a step further now, and hey, so we're gonna shoot an old camera with film. We're gonna process it in chemicals, and then we're gonna scan it digitally. And then on our computers, we're going to sell just the digital file as an NFT to cryptocurrency. Yeah. It's just so many layers of abstraction. It's just, it's just hilarious to me. I mean, I, you can sell whatever you want, whatever. But the idea is kind of weird. I, I always think of the opposite direction. If I'm shooting film, I'm always thinking, hey, maybe I can make a print of this and sell it. Or what if I sold a single edition, which was just the positive? I shot some slide film, and you get the you get the negative, and that's it. And we're going to charge a lot of money because that's there's only one of these in the entire world. And then here's the opposite. Well, not the opposite. Here's a completely different take, saying, "Hey, scan the film and sell this JPEG as an NFT, and that's that's the edition." And it's uh, I understand it, but it's still just it's it's amusing to think about how it's so many le- layers of abstraction from. One person could take a picture with their iPhone and email it to somebody. Hey, there's there's a way to share a photo. Or somebody can use an old-ass camera, buy film for it, process the film, pay for that, scan it, maybe edit the scan, put that, you know, sell it as an NFT, take a cryptocurrency payment, and then at the end of the day, you've still transferred an image to somebody else. So whether you're printing an image from film, you're shooting a Polaroid and giving them the picture, you're shooting an iPhone picture, there's so many different ways, and here's a very over-the-top way to sell somebody a picture. You know, how much more can we add to the process? I'm going to shoot all this stuff. I'm going to wait for my development and my scanning, and here I'm going to sell it as an NFT. I mean, I guess whatever you want to do to make to make money or whatever you like, but I don't know. It's pretty amusing. I, I, I always want to go the opposite way. When I'm working with film, I'm thinking to myself, just, hey, this is all part of the analog process, even if it's digital. Hey, let me, let me print this scan and give you a print because it's part of the... The allure of this sort of vintage feel, and yet here we are selling NFTs of film photos. So, hey, it's the world we live in, I guess. And I have to—I will say that I did have uh, somebody come into the shop I work at, and they wanted to digitize their paintings. And I—I I do a lot of the wow. artwork there, and we shoot it with a big camera in the back in a studio. And he specifically said, "I, I need the highest quality possible because I'm going to be selling this art as an NFT." And I, then, it was then that I knew it had gone pretty mainstream. When a, when a person comes into my shop asking for that, I say, 
Okay. Yeah. yeah, we can do that. But then I'm thinking to myself, "Damn, this is this is a real. This is not just something this is real life. on a podcast. This is somebody actually wants this, and they're choosing the more expensive option because they want the higher quality." Hey, I'm I'm happy to be selling that, but it was just kind of funny. I was like, "Wow, this is a real life instance in which somebody actually somebody other than Trevor and Alex said something about an NFT." <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. Um, to me, I, I feel like the NFT of a film role or a film picture makes more sense than owning a file that you can't access. Like maybe you have to work it through. Like, like you said, like you have this guy process it, get it scanned. Maybe you have to like get the highest resolution, edit it and then send it out. Like it makes sense to me, but like, I guess it would make sense because you, since you're owning it as NFT, that's your property. Like no one else can copy it. That's kind of cool. It's like owning like uh stock, like stock, like pictures, right? It's like the same idea. You could well, use it for. I mean, almost the same. It's almost the opposite though. It's instead of owning a stock picture where anybody can buy a license, it's sort of like owning the negative. If you only sell one F- one NFT, if, for instance, if you had an edition of one, then it's sort of like the old days. If you were to sell your original camera negative, they have the original, can make do whatever they want with it. And that's sort of like if you sell a scan of a film photo, now they can do whatever they, well, they can do whatever they're contracted to do based on the sale. But I, I, I guess when you, when you put it that way, I kind of understand it, that when you shoot film, there's a scarcity of it. You know, you shoot, I shot this picture and there's one negative and there's, you know, now that I've scanned it, there's one way that it looks. And to, to keep the spirit of there being sort of, Digitally, you think you can duplicate a billion times and it looks the same. With film, there is a little bit of that feeling that I captured this one moment on a piece of plastic and it's being processed with chemicals and here's the one original. So maybe it's more in the spirit of that to be selling as an NFT, to say, hey, here's the one true original that you own. I don't know. I guess maybe maybe if I think about it in that way, it makes more sense. Yeah. That, yeah, it's definitely interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it's like come back to analog, using analog to sell digital NFT, right? It's crazy. Yeah, well, and there's there's my point. You know, the fact that there was an article on a photography website about <laughs> selling NFTs of film photos proves two things. One, that NFTs are mainstream. And two, that film photography is back to being kind of mainstream. You know, why would there be, you know, five or ten years ago, there wouldn't be an article about anything with film like that because it wasn't, relevant but now we have film is also big it's becoming bigger and nfts are the big thing so it's just it was just so it's, our worlds have collided alex is so into nfts and i'm so into film photography and here we are an article about selling them as nfts so i thought that was, it was very topical for this podcast yeah it's a uh, very uh topical yeah uh too bad alex couldn't chime in today it would have been cool to hear is part of it well maybe he'll hear it or we can chat about it briefly next time yeah have a, <laughs> a reaction alex's reaction <laughs> yeah that's uh all i have for podcast do you have anything else you wanted to add well not in particular just the general reminder to get your vaccine yeah uh eventually i will i mean you I'm specifically getting... and also yeah. you in general like anybody who might possibly <laughs> yeah. listen to this Make sure you're vaccinated. So other than that, 
public service announcement. I hope that everybody has a fantastic day or yeah. night or whatever the hell you're listening to. Or, or morning. Or morning, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're one of those people. I mean, I I am, so. Mm. <sighs> well, that's it. So, talk to you later. See ya. I've burned a thousand bridges Dancing in the flames I'll light your candle, darling If it might show the way A shallow grave will be filled With our words and bones But still we chase the sunlight And that's just how it goes, it goes the winds will blow Survive the end and learn to